Hello everybody and welcome to today's special episode. Now we have a special guest today and this is Pe uh, Peggy Oliveira. Now Peggy is a trauma therapist. She's also an author, a mentor and a survivor. So she's actually known as the survival whisperer. And what she does is she weaves her story of impact and healing from childhood sexual abuse um, with actually over 20 years experience as a trauma therapist. And she also is an advocate to inspire us to release what holds us back and to courageously step into a life that we really do deserve. And so her soulful way of getting us to really connect with our truth, our pain, our fears, our dreams and our desires. And really what it is, is to, to inspire us so that with our, like our arms and our hearts open wide, it's almost that vulnerability um, to look under the surface and actually honour the whisper of our soul. And so that's why in today's episode, I can't wait to share Peggy with you because she's recently held a workshop for the Total Somatics members. And I want to really share with you some of the gems that we discussed, but also to learn a bit more about what Peggy does and what she has happening very soon. So Peggy is the founder of Courageous Journeys, and it's a practice of guiding people on their journey of returning to a wholeness really. And she does that through one-on-one -on -one coaching. She also does programs, group programs, um, and transformational healing retreats. So look forward to today's episode as we get to meet Peggy. Hello and welcome to the Somatic Movement and Mindset podcast with me, clinical somatic educator and founder of Total Somatics, Heidi Hadley. The Somatic Movement and Mindset podcast has been designed to help you gain a deeper understanding to how your mind and body work. You will learn about your amazing mind and body and why over time you can feel pain, recurring injuries and poor posture. Within this podcast, I will teach you why this doesn't have to be your future or the norm for you. Would you like to learn how to reduce pain, move freely and gain a new lease of life? Let's get started. So yes, as I mentioned in the, um, the introduction, we have Peggy here today. So I'm going to start by just introducing you to Peggy. You've, you've heard all the wonderful things that she does. So Peggy, can you tell us a little bit more of, you know, obviously there's a personal interest of how you got into this area, but um, why you did choose this rewarding area to kind of really support and empower people. So first, I just want to say I am so happy to be here with you and your listeners. So thank you for having me. I, um, I never intended to be a therapist. <laughs> it kind of happened a little bit by accident, which sounds a little weird, but um, I started because I went to a group therapy experience. I didn't really know that I had anything to heal, but I knew that my life was not what I wanted it to be. And I kept doing things that were really harming to myself, to my relationship. And so I decided to go to therapy. And shortly after I went to a group therapy session, it was gonna be for six weeks. And after the first night I left there and I said to myself out loud, um, no judgment. <laughs> I said to myself out loud, why isn't anybody talking about this? If we would just talk about this, we wouldn't have to struggle so much. And while it took years for it to happen, that 
was actually the seed that was planted on that night. And a few years later, I ended up being a therapist as an intern and ended up working at a rape crisis center um, and found my, some people would say purpose. I actually found where I belonged. Like it felt like a belonging in, in the work and I've been doing it ever since. So what kind of um, inspirational stories have you had? Because it's a pretty delicate area to be working in. So what kind of transformations or shifts or changes, even if somebody doesn't feel that they've had a shift, but even if it's the smallest of shifts, what kind of stories can you share with us? Well, um, I have a lot even in my personal life, but I also have a lot of clients that I've worked with. And the thing about healing is we often tend to think that it's, going from like one end of the spectrum to the opposite end of the spectrum. And we think that healing means that we don't really struggle with the kinds of things that we struggle with now. But the reality is that as humans, we're all wounded and we all struggle. That's just part of the human experience. And so we never get to a place where we never struggle with anything. What is different once you've been able to do the healing that you need is that our struggle looks a little bit different. The depths of the difficulty are not nearly as deep as they are before we've done our healing. And how we respond to things moment by moment shifts. And what's so interesting about the healing process is that we don't really recognize that healing is happening as it's happening. We often recognize that once we've gone through a certain level of healing and we look back and we recognize how different it was. So to your question, one of the first things that I recognized in my own healing was that I, I was pretty depressed. I was never diagnosed as clinical, clinically depressed because I had never gone to therapy really. <laughs> Um, at that point um, where somebody would diagnose me. But, um, and I also, I don't think that I was clinically like severely depressed. It was more dysthymic, which is just kind of an ongoing depression. And I also struggled a lot with worry and anxiety. But on one particular morning, I woke up and it was pouring down rain. And normally I would be really down about the rain because I hated the rain. Um, and normally I would wake up and think, oh my God, it's raining. I don't want to go outside. I don't want to do anything. But on that particular day, I woke up, I opened the blinds and my immediate thought was, I'm so glad it didn't rain yesterday. And I literally had that moment where I was like, where did that come from? <laughs> Who said that? <laughs> because that is so not me, right? I'm somebody who hates the rain and, and is like, doesn't want to get out of bed on the days that it rains. On that morning, I said something totally different. And in that moment, I recognized the healing that had happened because it wasn't about the rain. It was about being able to feel into in my body and my mind and my heart feeling the gratitude that I had that the day before when we had a lot of things going on outside, that it didn't rain. And really feeling that sense of gratitude in my body. 
And that was a huge moment of recognizing how healing happens and the transition that takes place. In general, I would say some of the biggest trans, um, transformations that people tend to happen, and it's incremental, it happens over time, is allowing ourselves to be vulnerable and find authentic connection. And authentic is the key word there. Because a lot of people will say, oh, I've got lots of connection. I'm going out with friends all the time. That's good. And that's great. You know, it might be a lot of fun, but that isn't necessarily connection. So people being able to recognize and feel, again, in their body, that ease and that freedom and that even sense of belonging and love that comes from feeling truly connected when we allow ourselves to be vulnerable. So you recognize that you're good enough as you are, that you belong. Like those are some of the biggest, most transformational things that I see. And I think that's really interesting because we've obviously just come off the workshop with the Total Somatics members. And some of the key words we were just chatting before we started the recording was um, boundaries, acceptance, vulnerability, that sort of thing. And we talk about community as well. And you just triggered thought, Peggy, and that was when you said about that vulnerability and um, the, really the quality of our connections, you know, individually. Because I've said it before in podcasts, and I'll mention again, is that in a connected world, we're more disconnected than ever before. We've got these vanity figures of how many followers a person has on social media, but it doesn't really reflect on the depth and quality of a relationship. And there's a lot of self-worth that's linked in with that whole obsession with how many followers and your friendships. And even if you, you know, a lot of people are feeling quite lonely at this time now, with the whole COVID, it's kind of compounded that feeling of loneliness and it's created a level of social anxiety, social anxiety in the community, hasn't it? So people have withdrawn. Um, so it, it's kind of reaching out to find that, as you say, that authenticity, because people can see behind that fakeness or that facade, can't they? And it's hard work to keep up a facade. It's, it, it's really about being your true, authentic self, really. Um, yeah. What are your views on that? Because we were obviously chatting about that also in the workshop. Yeah. So one of the first things is it's really hard to be authentic, <laughs> like to truly be authentic, because that does require vulnerability. And we don't live in a world that like we live in a social media world that always like there's even hashtags like vulnerable and vulnerability. And like so we, we live in this kind of pseudo vulnerability space. but just because you share that you cried last night, that that can be vulnerable, but that's not like really being a vulnerable person, right? So there's some differences here. So I think part of the challenge is that, and, and I think social media is a good example of this because people share a lot of really personal things, right? On social media, um, it's kind of surprising in a way, but there's a difference between sharing personal things and being vulnerable because vulnerability, true vulnerability that, is, that allows us to be connected requires us to show the parts of ourselves that we're afraid to show. So if we are spending time with people and 
we are, you know, even if we're engaging in conversations about something, but yet we know that there's a part that we don't want to share, or we fear what they would think if they knew that we felt this way or struggled with this thing, then we're not really showing up completely authentically because we're hiding a part of ourselves. Now, if we're doing that intentionally, that can be okay. But the reality is for most of us, we're not doing it intentionally. We're not creating opportunities where we can show up in those places and share that part of ourselves. We're just kind of hiding that part away generally and only showing the parts of ourselves that we think are kind of acceptable to show up as. And so, and, and I think it's important to say this, we don't necessarily want to show our most vulnerable parts of ourselves with everybody. So, so it's not that we need to work at being completely open and honest with everybody that we come in contact with. That's definitely not the goal, but it is about being real with ourselves. And that's probably the, maybe the most vulnerable thing <laughs> is being honest with ourselves about what do I really feel right now? How do I, what is my actual opinion about this? And not just the thing I think I should say, what do I really need or want right now? And then being able to express that or do something that can help bring that into your existence. So when we show up in a way where we're wearing a mask, where we're creating this facade, then what can actually happen, especially if we're thinking, well, they don't want to hear about this, or they would think that I'm being silly if I shared this with them. What we're actually doing in those moments on a subconscious level is reinforcing that who we are is not enough because we're hiding part of who we are to be accepted in this space. Like one of the things people will often say to me is people expect me to be the funny one. People expect me to be the strong one. People expect me to be um, the one who's always there for other people. So if that is the case, then you likely have a fear on some level that if you don't show up in that way, that they're not going to want you to show up at all. And so then you hide that part of yourself. And it's not necessarily them causing you to do that, but it's your fear of what might happen if you show up that way. So if you do that, especially not consciously, then the, the belief that it's reinforcing is reinforced even deeper because you're not even aware that it's happening. And I think what's interesting on that subconscious level as well is that if you're going into a relationship or a conversation with the uh, with with questioning or, or disempowering beliefs or you know your self-worth and all that sort of thing what happens is is that other people can sense that guardedness and then they put their guardedness up and it can actually really start to impact on a relationship developing and growing deeper it just basically stays pretty superficial and then the feeling of say loneliness is deeply compounded because you think I never really feel like I get a heart to heart with somebody. But as you say, it's because we have to create that vulnerability. And I, I don't know if you've seen this, Peggy, but I know over the years seeing different things where, whereby um, somebody's ruminated over a thought and they've created that thought process before they go into that conversation. So they already withdraw from a dialogue. Um, so you only hear half and you're trying to decipher what they're trying to say. 
because inside they've already finished off that conversation. They've created the, the summary of what it's like, and yet it's not a they're not truly present in that time. Yeah, absolutely. And they're already feeling, right? They're actually feeling that sense of rejection or they're feeling that sense of shame or whatever it is that they've talked themselves into <laughs> because of what they're expecting to happen. And so they're left feeling that. And then, then they believe that they feel it because of the interaction that happened, which reinforces the idea that it's not safe to interact with people. But in reality, it's not the interaction that left them feeling that way. It's the expectation that they anticipated that left them feeling that way. And you're right, that other person, because we're all wounded, so that other person is likely coming into it with their own sense of guarding in some way or another, but nobody's really recognizing exactly that that's happening or how it's showing up. And so it creates that sense of being even more disconnected. Yeah. And I think that's where um, where we have the opportunity that in this sort of conversation where we're talking from other sides of the world here, but we can still see facial expressions. It's not the same as if we were in person, but it's taking that time that when we're in a setting where we can see the full face and it's not the face mask, there's so many of those cues that we want to develop and we want to grow. And, and it's, it is an art. It is an art to create conversation and to develop relationships. So in the last two years with the whole COVID, um, people can kind of regress a little bit with those behavioural patterns and things. So it's about coming back to being present. And yeah, as we said before, that vulnerability. Um, so that, uh, yeah, to be open-minded, isn't it? Would you say that really, that open-minded? So instead of going in with your own thoughts of how you think that person's going to perceive you, you can just have a pretty open conversation in an ideal world that is <laughs> <laughs> yes i was gonna say yeah open-minded but also recognizing that we can go into a situation from a conscious place of saying okay i'm gonna i know i'm safe i'm gonna be open-minded and i'm gonna be vulnerable but then because of past experiences because of fear because of vulnerability as soon as we start to go into that situation, our body responds to that, like, what am I doing? Oh no, what's gonna happen? And once our body responds and the thoughts follow and the thoughts are those expectations, like, oh my gosh, this isn't safe to do. What if they think this? And so it causes us to shut down. But if we can practice, because it's all about practicing, if we can practice being mindful of going into a situation and saying to ourselves, okay, I don't have to share anything really big. This is just about trying to be really present. So starting with just, if I find myself worrying about something, just come back to the conversation. If I find myself anticipating what she's gonna think about me afterwards, just try to be present right now. Like just practicing that so we don't get so caught up because again, it is when it's not in our conscious awareness, it has even more impact on us because it's all happening automatically, which has more power behind it. Because when it's conscious, we can bring in another thought. We can do some reality testing to help Bring us back on track so to speak yeah. and we were talking also about um because people might be listening to this and saying well you know i'm a bit nervous to be vulnerable because i've had things in my past where people have let me down or from personal their own personal life experiences they've it's a it's a survival mechanism to stay guarded and almost have like this protective shell around them and i know in the membership we were talking about vulnerability and 
Um, and it's kind of having those um, that advanced awareness of that conversation. Do you remember we were talking about if, if you become quite vulnerable and then you're talking to somebody and they almost shut you down, or it could be that they use that information of, that you've brought as vulnerability and they turn it back on you, maybe it's a bit of a narcissistic type of way. Um, what would you say we could do in that situation so that we don't fall back into that pattern of withdrawal? But what could we do in a situation like that? So if we have shared vulnerably with, um, or just shared personally and we feel vulnerable, so maybe we don't necessarily see it as sharing vulnerably, but we feel vulnerable afterward, um, is recognizing that there are a lot of people in the world that do not have the capacity to bear witness to other people's vulnerability. And that is the reality. And that's not a judgment on other people. It just is the truth because we're all wounded and most of us have no idea the depths of our wounds. And so when, when there's anything that can trigger our own vulnerability, we naturally put up that wall. Our defenses kick in. And part of how we cope is denial. And so if somebody brings something up, and this happens a lot, so I work primarily with survivors of childhood abuse, they will often decide to share with somebody. And sometimes that other person, because they've got their own wounding that they haven't yet been able to deal with, and they've used denial as a way of coping with it, they will often say things like, oh, are you sure? Like maybe they didn't really mean it. Or, well, that happened a long time ago. Like maybe it's time to put that behind you. Or they'll just change the subject really quickly. And of course that leaves us feeling horrible and it reinforces that it's not okay to talk about it, reinforces that it's not safe to be, like it reinforces so many bad things. Um, so if we can recognize that people are wounded, we are all wounded in some ways. And most people, I would say, 90% of the population, if not more, has yet to heal on a deep level what their core wounding is. And again, that's that judgment. It's just that we don't live in a society that encourages it, um, that talks about the reality of it. So reminding yourself that if somebody responds in a way that is not helpful, maybe even hurtful, seeing if you can try to energetically take a step back and say, okay, I don't know what that was about, but I'm sure that it wasn't about me. I can be confident that it wasn't about me because a healthy person, a person who is not defending, protecting themselves, likely would not have responded that way. So their response to me isn't affirming that it's not okay to talk about it. Their response is affirming that we're all wounded and maybe they've still got some healing to do. <laughs> And, and being able to talk ourselves through that a little bit is important. It's hard to do. Yeah. It doesn't come natural. And as soon as that sense of being dismissed or, or somebody denying your experience, as soon as that triggers, it creates a physiological response. And that physiological response then takes us back to the core beliefs that were developed when that physiological response first happened. So it's not natural. It's not easy to try to do that. In fact, it's pretty impossible in the early stages. But even afterward, if you can come back to that and say, okay, even if it's a few days later, being able to say, okay, I have to remind myself 
even if I don't fully believe it or trust it, I have to remind myself that that response was not about me. Yeah. And, and then I, I just keep practicing that. And I think that's really good because that's what we were chatting about is that um, there's that level of acceptance, isn't it? That we choose our kind of group of people in the end that we kind of resonate with and that feel that they're, they're happy to kind of uh, to take that judgmental side out because we've all got different, we all perceive things through a different lens, don't we, to the world. But the acceptance also that, because we talked about this in the group, um, it was quite fascinating when you talked about the mother-daughter relationship as well, how complex that can be and how in some situations as well, but you've just got to accept that sometimes one person may be doing a lot of their own personal growth and development and dealing with a lot of things from their past. And another person may not be, they may never decide to do that because they feel what they have is enough. They feel that they, it's almost a bit of a fixed mindset that this is me, I'm not gonna change. That was mentioned in the group, wasn't it? It's, this is how I am, I'm too old to change. You know, all those sorts of expressions that are yeah. said. Um, so there's a level of acceptance that you can't force something to happen because the way that you're growing and developing is different to other people. So there's a level of acceptance there. Um, probably also, when I say this, I don't mean this at all, but the level of acceptance and almost a bit of a bereavement because sometimes you want that thing to be the case, but it will never be. Does that make yeah. sense? And actually grief is and loss is a huge part of emotional healing when it comes, well, in general, I would say, but particularly with certain relationships that we have in our lives, there's often a lot of loss that we have to be able to work through. And to your point about that, because often the people that we wanna share with are the people that are closest to us, right? Like our family and really close friends, but oftentimes our family <laughs> is where a lot of the wounding kind of stems. It doesn't necessarily mean that somebody in our family had to wound us very directly or traumatically, but there's naturally going to be some wounding that happens in our family of origin. And of course, everybody deals with things in their own way. So we often want those people that we love and that we care for to come along on that journey with us. But they have to get there on their own and coming to terms with the fact that they won't or they can't at this time or whatever is hard and it can feel personal like if they really cared about me then they would do this but that isn't the case it doesn't have to have anything to do with how much they care about you it's what they are what they have the capacity for at that particular time and the truth is again we live in a world that that encourages us to not do that stuff. We live in a world that encourages us to pick ourselves up by our bootstraps, to, to soldier on, to not sweat the small stuff, you know, like to just go, 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 and do a little of this, do a little of that, and you're gonna be, you'll heal your trauma, right? All these little fixes, like do this tool, do this technique, and magically all this trauma is gonna go away. And that's not the reality. And so for all of us, we, we are inundated with these ideas that struggle isn't okay, that talking about those difficult things isn't okay, that you're dwelling, that you're not getting over it, that you want to blame your parents for everything that's going wrong in your life. And so part of like what I want to talk about generally just overall and why I keep talking about this stuff is we need to start having those conversations 
we need to start having real and honest conversations just about the fact that struggle is natural and normal. It's not a weakness. <laughs> the vulnerability isn't weak that it's part of what's necessary in building connection. Like there was a time in our history that being vulnerable under any circumstance was not good because even if it was emotionally vulnerable, then you were thought of as weak. And so you wouldn't be included if there was limited amounts of food. If you needed to run from a predator, like, and you had no safety, right? Like vulnerability was, the idea of it being weak came from someplace. But we're not running from predators. We have, generally speaking, we have food. We have access to food. Some people, unfortunately, don't have as much access to food. But it's not that you have to go out and hunt for your meal typically that day um, and worry about being eaten in the process. But, but our idea of vulnerability has not really changed. But the only way that we can heal any sort of emotional wounding is through connection. The only way that we can truly feel connected is through allowing ourselves to be vulnerable. So we have to be able to shift our idea of what it means to struggle, that it's normal, that it's human. And, and I think um, hopefully that shift is coming because we've had you look in in the past you know after like the second world war we had the people that lived then were living in a trauma state you know they went on to have children and you know it, 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 there was no intention for this to be passed around but they passed down trauma traits didn't they really and we've gone through generations where people are now becoming more aware of all these sorts of factors but i do think with the whole covid there's always a silver lining to things and i think covid has made people really look and think the most important thing is human connection, and it's um, and it's getting people to talk a bit more because I've I've heard uh, different people over here in Australia, like entrepreneurs and things, on podcasts, and they've openly talked in the last like year about their struggle with mental health during COVID. You know, successful people, but it doesn't matter how successful, and depends on what you define as success. But these people have had what you could say is everything but they would give away all the wealth for the fact that they felt incredibly depressed and pretty um, overwhelmed with everything. The same feelings as everybody else. And I think rip away all the colorful stuff, all that outward stuff, and it's brought a closer connection. I mean, to the point that they're even saying things like, um, what's it called the, for this, for the year 2022, and um, the great resignation. So that I heard on the radio, they said over 60% of people are not happy in their jobs and they want to take a, a shift and change. And so it's literally getting people out of this thing where you've just got to put your head down, your bottom up and work hard, 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 not notice your feelings and emotions, but actually now getting people to notice inward and think, actually, what drives me? What am I interested in doing? Do I want to spend more time having a quality of life with family and friends? Because that's where the richness comes from. And that's what really feeds our soul, isn't it, really? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And the thing, one of the things about COVID is that um, there's so many feelings that, that we felt as a result of COVID, like the uncertainty and the fear, loss, um, even fear of loss, like losing people that we love, that for many people feels very familiar 
to other feelings that, that maybe there's some wounding or trauma around. And so with COVID, while COVID itself, for some people was very traumatic, just the idea of it, even if they didn't experience it, but just for some people it was traumatic, for other people it was just like a fear that they had. Um, but for many people, part of the reason that it became even more significant is because there was so much familiarity of the feeling that it created, the lack of control, um, feeling powerless, feeling disconnected, feeling alone and isolated, um, feeling kind of helpless in the face of there's this thing coming. Like, so one of the things for a lot of the people I work with as a, as a childhood trauma therapist is as a child, obviously you have no real control of your life. And if you are living with somebody who's abusing you, there's no escape, right? And one of the things with COVID is the sense of helplessness. Like, what can I do? Like, there's only so much that I can do and I can't control other people. Um, I can't control somebody else getting sick or anything like that. So it, in terms of how, how our body responded to that, so much familiarity. And so the impact of COVID is so multi-layered um, and familiar for a lot of people. Yeah. And I was just thinking, you know, when we were talking, um, kind of developing on from that and how we can kind of heal and repair and, and it is like a lifelong experience and journey, isn't it really? Because we have the ups and downs, we get things that will trigger us and set us off and, and then people can sometimes feel a bit overwhelmed and think, I've done all this work, I feel like I've stepped back and, you know, and all these different factors. But if, if we kind of um, look at it as a whole, I think one of the big things you mentioned in the workshop as well was about boundaries um isn't it and taking care to kind of um look after ourselves the boundaries to to uh to put a worth or a value on ourselves but not to like we said before to isolate or create that protective shell that we don't let anybody in is it possible to kind of elaborate on the importance of boundaries as we kind of start moving forward and continue to move forward in our life yeah so um, boundaries is something that comes up in with every client I've ever worked with, because whether it's a work boundary, a family boundary, a child boundary, like boundaries within ourselves, like everybody struggles with boundaries to some degree because we're not really taught about boundaries. Right. So one of the things that I think is important to recognize with boundaries is we often think about it in terms of saying no, like, OK, what are the things I need to say no to? But boundaries is also sometimes about saying yes, because we can often put restrictions on ourselves. Like, no, I'm not good at that. No, I could never really do that. Um, no, that's not who I am. Thinking, well, no, I can't really do that until I've done this. So we can tend to put a lot of restrictions on ourselves. And so looking at boundaries as also, how can I say yes? How can I say yes? And maybe that's to somebody's invitation to doing something that normally you would say no because you're used to isolating or you're used to not being in an uncomfortable situation or a situation that you don't know how it's going to turn out. Maybe you practice saying yes a little bit more often. Maybe you say yes to yourself. Like, I really want to try this new recipe, but maybe you've got this fear that it's not going to turn out well. Or maybe you see yourself as not being a good cook. Maybe you try that new recipe. So saying yes is an important part of boundaries, but to the other side of those boundaries, <laughs> um, which is where most people 
um, kind of think about it and obviously where there's a lot of struggle and often more detrimental impact. As we think about honoring ourselves, because that's really what boundaries is about. It's about honoring ourselves, honoring our desires and our needs. And so as we think about engaging and connecting, it is important to think about who are the people or what are the situations that I leave where I feel good, where I feel good about myself, where I feel a sense of peace or connection or joy, um, contentment, something I might look forward to again. What are the situations that seem good? Like maybe there's even an idea that it should be fun or good, but I leave feeling bad. I leave feeling drained. I leave feeling like I have no energy. And it doesn't mean that that situation itself is bad, but what is it about the situation that's leaving you feeling bad? So maybe you limit those things, or maybe you just recognize that there's something there maybe to work on. Maybe you're saying yes when you really don't want to. Maybe you are saying yes to things because there's a part of you that wants to, but you are so self-critical that you leave that situation feeling like you screwed up in some way. So in that sense, the boundary isn't about saying yes or no to that thing so much as it is the boundary of recognizing how do you feel in that situation? And then what is the impact and what do you then need to do about it? Because the solution isn't necessarily don't do that thing unless there was a part of you that knew you didn't want to do it and you did it because you thought you should. Because yeah. <laughs> that's definitely a thing that a lot of people do. So in that case, I would say the boundary is don't do things that you think you should yeah. <laughs> just because you think you should. Um, but what can I do for myself? What can I maybe say yes to for myself that allows me to experience this in a more joyful or connected way? And maybe that is taking that mask off. Because yeah. one of the things that I hear people say a lot is, well, I'm not isolating, you know, I'm doing these things that I should do, um, but I always feel worse afterward. Well, you feel worse afterward because you're hiding part of yourself because you're fearful that somebody will judge you if you're not the person that laughs at everything, if you're not the person that does this or that thing. And that does drain your energy. That does leave you feeling even more isolated afterward because you're who the person showing up is not who you are in that moment. Yeah. It's so true, isn't it? And I think that's why it's so somatic in its way that you kind of look at um, how a different setting is going to um, either help you like, on, energetically as well as emotionally, mentally, and physically, either if it builds you up or if it feels like it's almost like an energy vampire setting, isn't it? So mm -hmm. it, it, it is interesting because it is creating those boundaries that you want to make sure you're in, in a circle, say a friendship circle, that you're going to build them up and they're going to build you up equally. But if, it, if you come away from that setting and every time it's a pretty negative, depressing have a conversation and you come away pretty worn out it's probably times like that to start thinking i need to find people that resonate that actually want to talk in a different setting because would you agree peggy that there's so only so much you can do but it's about the acceptance again that you can't force a group or a few people to talk a certain way what it means is that at this point they're still important to you but it 
probably is good to start um, looking for connections where it's more empowering. Because we, we know we've got a lot that we have to deal with on a daily basis. So if in our free time you're in a setting where it's pretty negative, pretty disempowering, like gossipy, fault finding, that can be quite draining in itself. So it, it is creating that boundary there, isn't it? Yeah, and I think that that's a really important thing to look at. And unfortunately, a lot of us who have not yet healed some of those deeper wounds, we tend to gravitate towards those types of groups and people. Um, as they and they try, they tend to navigate towards people like us who will either fall into that too, or support that kind of thing or that person or whatever. Um, so I think that that is an important thing to look at. One thing that I think is important as you're weighing that, like, is you know how do I feel leaving the situation? If you find that every situation you leave, you feel bad, it's important to check in with yourself and check. Is it the situation or is it me? And what I mean by that, so I'll give you a very clear example. So I do groups all the time and the groups that I lead are very healing, deep, vulnerable groups, but there's beautiful, magical healing that happens in them um, because they are deep and vulnerable <laughs> and all of those things. Um, but, and I always encourage group, but I have, and this happens quite often, but there was somebody who kept saying, you know, you keep telling me that these groups are healing, but I find that I'm questioning myself all the time. And I feel um, like shame is triggered a lot. And I think maybe group just isn't for me. And I, we talked about it. And I said, you know, it's important to, to honor that if, if it's making you feel worse, then definitely it's not, not a good time for you. <laughs> but what ended up happening, and we had talked about this is that it wasn't the group that was actually the issue. It was her own sense of self-worth and where she could take anything from the group as a reinforcement that she didn't belong, that she wasn't enough, that reminded her of shame in some way. And because she wasn't necessarily participating in the group a whole lot, she didn't have an opportunity to undo that. So it reinforced it over and over again. Well, this last group that I led the same person was in this group and um, she participated a lot more and most everybody in the group this time around shared that like somebody actually used the word magical maybe even a couple of people they talked about how powerful it was how healing it was how um, much they're looking forward to the next one because even though maybe they didn't feel sure about it and they felt really unsure or like uncertain and intimidated recognizing the power and the healing that happened. But this particular person recognized how different it was. And she said, there was something different about this group. And I said, no, what was different is you, how you showed up in this group because she participated more. She allowed herself to be more vulnerable and stayed in it instead of feeling vulnerable and then escaping, which is what we tend to do, which reinforces shame. She stayed in it. She stayed engaged. And that allowed her to release some of that shame and to feel that she belonged in that space. And isn't that lovely? Because the freedom that comes from that, because you realize how much you repress, you're pushing that energy down. There's that resistance all the time. Um, and yet that it is freedom. When you said that, I just thought this freedom, freedom of her choice and her feelings, instead of being held captive that whole time, 
fascinating, isn't it, really, in that side of things? Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's my big one-on-one program is called Journey to Freedom because it is about the freedom of the constraints that we put on ourselves because of what we believe about who we are and the fears that hold us back from living our lives. And it really is a sense of lightness and freedom that comes when we're able to heal and release all of that. And I think the uh, like the filling of your life, the richness and the depth of those relationships and those connections that, that you can have as well, isn't it? And it just yes. it snowballs then. It's incredible. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So can you tell us a little bit more as we come to kind of finish today's episode, a bit more about any events that you've got coming up and how they can learn more about you? Because I'm going to make sure all the links are in the show notes anyway. But if you can tell us a bit of what you're currently doing and how this year's panning out and what, what you're doing generally, <laughs> that'd be really Sure. So um, the most immediate thing that I have going on is uh, February 5th. US time, I will be leading a free workshop for people who are working through Deeply Rooted, which is a guided journal that I wrote. Um, And it's going to be a free workshop where I lead people through some of the practices and have time for Q&A. So I'm really excited about that. I did it last year and it was really a beautiful experience, a small group of people, but talking about connection and vulnerability, like it was incredible. So that will be happening on December or I'm sorry, February 5th. And um, if you don't have time to actually get a a physical copy of the book, I do have an ebook version on my website um, for people to be able to download if they'd like to do that. Um, So you can get all the information with that link. Additionally, um, I'm going to be doing another group probably in the next couple of months or so. So if anybody has childhood trauma, um and they are interested in working on healing make sure you follow me on facebook courageous journeys um, or on youtube i have a channel peggy Oliveira. it's just my name um, follow me there and you'll get all that information and i have lots of videos talking about impact and healing so i'll be doing a group soon and then i also have those other channels where i share information brilliant so courageous journeys that's the facebook page is that right yes And what's your website? Although I'm going to put all the links below, but if people are listening to this driving to work or whatever they're doing, um, (laughs) and just on top of their head, what is your website? So where you can find me now is healing.courageousjourneys.com. Brilliant. Fantastic. Well, it's been an absolute privilege to have you today Peggy and basically we've I like the membership we hogged you for so long (laughs) and we did we did the live workshop and then what we always do is we turn off the the recording so people that are live they've got any personal questions that they want to discuss it's a very um, respectful group then we all just chat and and so uh, Peggy's been a wealth of knowledge and support and as you can see she's got such a kind gentle approachable warm manner which is why I so wanted you to meet her within the podcast as well as within the membership as well. So I hope our paths will cross again, Peggy, because um, you've got so much richness and I just think it needs to get out there into the into the wider world. So as I said, all of the links are going to be in the podcast notes below. Um, and so that's where you'll also be able to get that ebook as well. So we'll make sure that's that link is there too. And if you are listening to this after the 5th of February, Please just click on those links anyway, because Peggy, I'm assuming that you'll probably update any events that are coming up and they can just subscribe to you that way as well. 
Yeah, definitely get on my email list if you're interested, um, because that's I'll share everything that's going on. And I do free things um, periodically as well. So yes, please come join me if this at all is something that you find some resonance with. Brilliant. So thank you, Peggy. And thank you so much, everyone, for joining us today. Um, have a lovely, lovely day or evening, wherever you are in the world. And I will see you very, very soon. Take care. Lots of love. Bye. Thank you for joining me today. If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave a rating and also forward this on to somebody you know will benefit. To learn more about pain relief, plus how to improve your health and well-being, go to totalsomatics.com. Until next time, take care.